Trapcast Express. Trapcast Express, it's Tuesday, March 10th, 2020. Our critical review of France's exhortation, Carita Amazonia, continues. In this episode, we're tackling the first part of his fourth and last chapter, entitled An Ecclesial Dream. And as you can probably imagine, it really is quite a nightmare. The first paragraph in chapter four is paragraph number 61, and it begins thus, quote, The church is called to journey alongside the people of the Amazon region, unquote. Actually, she's not. Bergoglio simply made it up because it's part of his political agenda. He continues by noting that missionary efforts are to develop a church with an Amazonian face, to which end he wants a culture of encounter towards a multifaceted harmony. Yeah, my eye. Uh, Here you can clearly see that for the Frankster, the Catholic Church is a human institution with a merely human and earthly face. The true Catholic Church, however, is a divine institution and has the face of Christ, since he is her head. We call the church the mystical body of Christ for a reason. So, we don't need or want a church with an Amazonian face any more than we need or want one with an Appalachian face, or a Norwegian face, or an Alpine face, or an Eskimo face, or a Serengeti face, or a Black Forest face, or anything else like it. The church only has the face of Christ. Oh, and just what's that Amazonian face stuff supposed to mean anyway? See, Bergoglio loves metaphors because they allow for many different interpretations, which in turn leads to confusion, and that's exactly what he wants. Now, in paragraph 62, Francis proclaims, We are not ashamed of Jesus Christ. Now, that sounds really good, right? Kind of conservative there. Except... Notice that he's saying that all the while he's undermining the Catholic faith. He's undermining the gospel and the church's true missionary activity. And so in the very next paragraph, number 63, for example, he says of the poor and of the abandoned, quote, how sad it would be if they were to receive from us a body of teachings or a moral code but not the great message of salvation, the missionary appeal that speaks to the heart and gives meaning to everything else in life, unquote. Now there you see the typical 1960s modernist speaking, as though the body of teachings and the moral code of the gospel were not the message of salvation. For Francis to juxtapose the two shows once again that he does not believe that the Catholic Church is, in fact, a divine institution. And, of course, his church isn't, but that's because it's not the Catholic Church. Now, here's what Pope Leo XIII wrote about missionary activity among savages. Quote, To conciliate the minds and to win the confidence of these uncivilized nations, they, meaning the missionaries, should teach them the salutary precepts of religion right from the beginning. They should bring them to understand the true notion of what is just and honest. Finally, they should explain what it means to be children of God, 
for they too have been called to this, thanks to the merits of our Savior. This is what the popes had in mind when they sent so many missionaries to barbarian nations. Unquote. That's from Pope Leo XIII's encyclical Jam Pridem, number 14, published in 1886. So there you have the body of doctrine and the moral code that Francis just poo-pooed. That is the message of salvation. Francis just neutralized all the few good things he does say in that chapter about evangelization. For him, it's not about a body of doctrine or a moral code. In other words, not faith or morals. Great. So what's left? Well, nothing but politics, environmental concerns, humanitarianism, and so on. Well, remember what he said when he visited Morocco a year ago. I've got to quote this because otherwise people won't believe me. After his usual spiel against proselytism, he said, quote, For being a Christian is not about adhering to a doctrine or a temple or an ethnic group. Being Christian is about an encounter, an encounter with Jesus Christ, unquote. He said this on March 31st, 2019, and the translation is taken straight from the Vatican website. So, there too he poo-pooed adhering to the doctrine of Christ, when that is absolutely mandatory, as made clear in the second epistle of St. John, verse 9, quote, The man who goes back, who is not true to Christ's teaching, loses hold of God, unquote. That's the Monsignor Ronald Knox translation. In the Dewey translation, it puts it a little more archaically, but still the same thing. It says, quote, Whosoever revolteth and continueth not in the doctrine of Christ hath not God, unquote. Well, what is the message of salvation if not a doctrine? A Lord himself said, My doctrine is not mine, but his that sent me. That's uh, John 7, 16. St. Luke writes in the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 2, verse 41, and they were persevering in the doctrine of the apostles. St. Paul writes to the Romans, saying, Now I beseech you, brethren, to mark them who make dissensions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you have learned, and avoid them. That's Romans sixteen seventeen. And perhaps the most applicable passage uh, to our case here is found in the second letter of St. Paul to St. Timothy, chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. For there shall be a time when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, they will heap to themselves teachers having itching ears and will indeed turn away their hearing from the truth, but will be turned unto fables." Boy, ain't that the truth. All right, well, uh, Francis' ecclesial nightmare continues. Uh, there's more I'd love to talk about, but I've got to keep it moving here, or else we'll still be discussing this awful document by Christmas. In paragraph 68, he goes into enculturation, no doubt one of his favorite topics. Enculturation, he says, is a double movement. Not only does the church give, but also receive. He says that, quote, the church herself undergoes a process of reception that enriches her with the fruits of what the Spirit has already mysteriously sown in that culture. In this way, 
the Holy Spirit adorns the church, showing her new aspects of revelation and giving her a new face, unquote. See, the church herself is evangelized by the pagan cultures. Not only does she teach them, but they teach her. And of course, that is somehow the work of the Holy Ghost, God the Revealer. That's modernism. Okay, There is no supernatural revelation to be found in the Amazon region, okay, or any other region of the world, for that matter. But, of course, by taking that position, Francis can take anything he likes from the Amazon and raise it to the level of quasi-doctrine. You know, it's the Spirit speaking to the church now, and we must read the signs of the times. And, of course, you know exactly what the God of Surprises will have in store for everybody. Precisely the liberal talking points that Club Francis wants to see implemented, like a syncretistic liturgy, married priests, women deacons, and so forth. Now, some will say, no, Francis did not allow married priests or women's ordination in Carita, Amazonia. And that's basically true, but he put the premises there to make it possible later on. He laid the foundation that can later be used to draw those conclusions. Or to put it in more Amazonian terms, I guess we can say he sowed the seeds on fertile ground so there'll be rich fruit to harvest later. What? You think I'm exaggerating? (laughs) Well, you just haven't come across paragraph 69 yet, have you? Let me quote it for you. Or let me quote from it for you. Quote, What is needed is courageous openness to the novelty of the spirit who is always able to create something new with the inexhaustible riches of Jesus Christ. Indeed, enculturation commits the church to a difficult but necessary journey. True, this is always a slow process and that we can be overly fearful, ending up as mere onlookers and as the church gradually stagnates. But let us be fearless and let us not clip the wings of the Holy Spirit, unquote. Oh boy, here we go. So many favorite expressions that delight the modernist heart. First, the term courage. That's always a good one to use because nobody wants to be considered a coward. So whatever garbage you want to unleash on souls, just tell them that it requires courage to accept and all opposition to it will seem cowardly or timid. Then openness. Well, in our world, that is considered the virtue. Open minds, open doors, open hearts, open borders, open everything. Yeah, and they can't figure out how the smoke of Satan got in or the coronavirus. Anyway, then there is novelty, meaning newness. Well, until the Vatican II religion came along, novelty was considered problematic, to say the least. There are so many papal condemnations of novelty that I can't even quote them all here, but let me at least give you a few. Here, St. Pius X, in his encyclical against modernism, Pascendi Dominici Gregis, denounced a blind and unchecked passion for novelty and exhorted far, far from the clergy be the love of novelty. In his encyclical Pieni Lanimo, 
The same Pius X pointed out that all terms smacking of an unhealthy novelty in Catholic publications are condemnable, such as those deriding the piety of the faithful or pointing out a new orientation of the Christian life, new directions of the church, new aspirations of the modern soul, a new social vocation of the clergy, or a new Christian civilization. Well, there's Vatican II in a nutshell. Pope Pius IX wished that every error and profane novelty may be repelled and eliminated in the encyclical Optime Nocitis. Pius Twelfth in Humani Generis lamented the reprehensible desire of novelty, and he counseled, Let no Christian, therefore, whether philosopher or theologian, embrace eagerly and lightly whatever novelty happens to be thought up from day to day, but rather let him weigh it with painstaking care and a balanced judgment, lest he lose or corrupt the truth he already has with grave danger and damage to his faith. In the apostolic exhortation Menti Nostre, Pius XII denounced the mania for novelty. Pope Gregory XVI, in his encyclical letter Merari Vos, reminded the bishops that the universal church is affected by any and every novelty. And Pope Leo XIII, writing in the encyclical Providentissimus Deus, warned that at his time the thirst for novelty and unrestrained freedom of thought make the danger of error most real and proximate. Now, of course, Francis is no dummy. He knows he can't get away with just calling for novelty, so he ascribes it to the Holy Ghost, the novelty of the Spirit. Yeah, that's Spirit. Oh, it's definitely a Spirit that's the originator of all these novelties, all right. It's just not a holy one. Then Francis, of course, claims that that Spirit is creating all this newness, from the riches of Christ, when, of course, we all know that, in truth, it's nothing but dusty junk from Bergoglio's treasure trove of apostasy. But in order for that not to be too obvious, the Frankster covers it up with more rhetoric, rhetoric that appeals to people's emotions. Surely you don't want to be a mere onlooker, as the church gradually stagnates, right? Because, you know, that Bergoglian church always has to be moving, right? I mean, who needs a church that's just kind of there? It's got to be moving. In 1946, in his allocution, Quamvis Inquieti, Pope Pius XII denounced that very notion when he said that the new theology, on which all of this is based, is in a state of perpetual motion, he said, it will always be on the road to somewhere, but will never arrive anywhere. And that's exactly it. And so Francis concludes, but let us be fearless. Let us not clip the wings of the Holy Spirit. And there we go again. He brands opposition to his agenda of novelty as fear. Because who wants to be considered a scaredy cat, right? And worse yet, Bergoglio declares that any opposition to whatever new junk he dreams up is opposition to the Holy Spirit himself. There. Perfect. With these rhetorical tricks, Francis has laid down the premise for the introduction of any novelty whatsoever, in principle. Think about it. 
What can you not justify with what he just said? Courageous openness to the novelty of the Spirit, drawn from the inexhaustible riches of Christ, to oppose which would mean opposing God himself. And he's already told us the source for this newness. It's the Amazon region where that Spirit has mysteriously sown seeds of new revelation. Folks, this is utter modernist garbage. This has nothing to do with Catholicism. Now, in paragraph 70 of Corita Amazonia, Chaos Frank wastes no time to apply what he just said. Listen to this, quote, For the church to achieve a renewed enculturation of the gospel in the Amazon region, she needs to listen to its ancestral wisdom, listen once more to the voice of its elders, recognize the values present in the way of life of the original communities, and recover the rich stories of its peoples. In the Amazon region, we have inherited great riches from the pre-Columbian cultures. These include openness to the action of God, a sense of gratitude for the fruits of the earth, the sacred character of human life and esteem for the family, a sense of solidarity and shared responsibility and common work, the importance of worship, belief in a life beyond this earth, and many other values." Unquote. All right, so here Francis proposes the counterpart of the church teaching. It's the church listening. So get ready for some great old Pachamama stories. Well, apparently the Catholic Church knows nothing about the action of God, about gratitude for God's benefits or the value of human life, the common good, proper worship, or life after death even. And that's why she has to listen to the Amazonian pagan elders now to discover these riches. I mean, this junk is simply insufferable. Why does anybody listen to this man? But you know what? This isn't even new. Don't think that Francis is the first one to come up with this. This is Vatican II. This comes from Paul VI and John Paul II. For example, while he was visiting the African nation of Benin... On February 4, 1993, John Paul II, who, by the way, is a saint in the new church, he uh, met with voodoo witch doctors and told them, quote, you have a strong attachment to the traditions handed on by your ancestors. It is legitimate to be grateful to your forebears who passed on this sense of the sacred, belief in a single God who is good, a sense of celebration, esteem for the moral life, and for harmony in society, unquote. I'm not making this up. You can verify this for yourself. The translation of John Paul's address to the adherents of voodooism in Benin can be found in the Vatican's newspaper, Osservatore Romano, English edition of February 10th, 1993, on page 7. And on that same page... This is very interesting. On that same page, there is an info blurb about voodooism, and it describes a little bit that uh, sense of celebration that the voodooists have. It says, quote, Voodoo ceremonies consist of rituals invoking the spirits and the great god and are marked by drums and songs accompanying an animal sacrifice. 
the rite culminates in a trance in which a ritual dancer is thought to be possessed by a divinity. Ceremonies are conducted by a man or a woman who are often knowledgeable about witchcraft as well. Unquote. I guess these are the seeds that the spirit has sown in the voodoo religion. Let's hope that Francis won't try to harvest the fruits here anytime soon. All right, that's it for today. Unfortunately, we still have quite a bit of ground to cover because Francis' ecclesial dream is far from over. So we'll pick up here next time. Tradcast Express is a production of Novos Ordo Watch. Check us out at tradcast.org. And if you like what we're doing, please consider making a tax-deductible contribution at novosordowatch.org slash donate.